Uh, Our readings tonight are from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, and then the book of Jude from, from our printout. So let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. First, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from which dead from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of the one, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Jude, beginning at verse 1. Jude. Jesus Christ's servant, but James's brother, to the called ones who have been loved by God the Father and are certainly kept for Jesus Christ. Let mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although making every effort to write to you concerning our common salvation, I have necessity to write to you so exhorting you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints because certain men have weaseled in those who long ago have been marked out beforehand for this condemnation. Ungodly ones who are altering our God's grace into sensuality and are denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, despite how you once fully knew it, that Jesus, after saving a people out from the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. So too, those angels who did not keep themselves in their first condition, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept until the great day in eternal chains under darkness. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which in similar manner committed sexual immorality and went after another kind of flesh, present an example by suffering the penalty of everlasting fire. Nevertheless, in like manner also, these false teachers, by being dreamers, on the one hand defile the flesh, but also rebel against authority, but further blaspheme the glorious angels. Now, Michael, the archangel, while deliberating with the devil, disputed about Moses' body. 
yet did not dare to execute a verdict of blasphemy, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these false teachers, on the one hand, slander as much as they do not understand, and on the other hand, as much as they think naturally, like unreasoning animals, they are destroyed by these things. Woe to them, because they walked in Cain's way and committed themselves to Balaam's error for the sake of pay and perished in Korah's rebellion. These false teachers are hidden reefs at your love feast by feasting with you without reverence. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds carried away by the winds, autumnal trees that are twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea that are foaming their own shame, wandering stars for whom the nether gloom of darkness has been kept forever. Further, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, also prophesied about these false teachers, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, with the result of executing judgment against everyone, and with the result of convicting every soul concerning all their ungodly works, which they committed in such an ungodly way, and concerning all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These false teachers are murmurers, discontents, one going, one's going after their own desires, and their mouth speaks boasts, one's admiring faces to gain advantage. Despite all this, beloved, you must remember the words foretold by our Lord Jesus Christ's apostles. Since they said to you, in the last time, there will be mockers, pursuers of ungodliness according to their own desires. These are the ones causing divisions, natural people, not having the Spirit. Despite all this, you, beloved, by building yourselves upon your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that results in everlasting life. Further, On the one hand, have mercy on those who cause divisions, but on the other hand, save them by snatching them from the fire, and again, have mercy on them with fear, despite hating even the garment that is soiled by the flesh. Now, to the one who has the power to protect you from stumbling, and to set you blameless, in the presence of his glory with gladness, to the only God, our Savior, Through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, and now, and for all times. Amen. So far the reading of God's holy word, we're thankful for it. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider these portions of scripture, let us pray for God's help. O Lord our God, we are thankful for your word. There are times when it raises hard issues like this where we contemplate tonight the nature of the church, the church as, a, as the people of God that contains people who struggle greatly, people who have wandered from your path, people who have true and thriving faith in Jesus Christ, those who are led away at times. And Jude addresses a church like this. 
And we know we're not beyond being a church like this. And so we pray that we find encouragement in knowing the substance of your covenant with your people is Christ himself. And we pray that you spur us on to deeper faith in him, greater unity as your church. We pray, O Lord, that you would overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. We pray it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, When I was a kid, it may shock you to know that I did a few things, few things that frustrated my parents. Um, One was that when I would get a present, I, I tended to play more with the box than the actual toy. Uh, the box was supposed to be just the, the delivery system for the real thing. And for some reason, I had a fascination with the, the delivery system, often for some time ignoring the real thing. And the last time we were in Jude, we highlighted from verse 5 how Jesus saved the people out of Egypt, marking that Christ has always been the Savior. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. No matter when they lived in all of redemptive history, God's true people have always had faith in the Savior. Whether, they, whether believing like us in the Savior who has already come and died for our sins already, or believing in the Savior who would come and die for their sins, as was the case in the Old Testament. This doctrine that God offered only one way of salvation in Christ, regardless of time and place, is the covenant of grace. God's people, however, have always been, well, precisely that, a people. The covenant of grace is a covenant community, which includes everyone who is within the church's fellowship. Jude 5 pointed out that Jesus, after saving a people from the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. And so we have a question about how God is sovereign, and yet how some people can seem to, it seems, fall away from salvation, as some passages might appear to indicate, or or there are unbelieving ones among the covenant community. The nature of God's covenant people, particularly as Jude frames the problem which he faced, provides us with some explanation here. The people in verse 5, well, they had some sort of experience related to salvation. And yet Jesus destroyed those among the covenant community who did not believe. As we continue our set of doctrinal reflections upon Jude 5 to 7, this week we're pulling at the thread of the relationship between faith and the covenant community. We remember, uh, I hope, or we'll, we'll remind ourselves right now of our distinction from last week about, uh, so between the substance and the administration of the covenant of grace in the trip to the ice cream store, the substance is always ice cream, which can be administered to you different ways in a cup or a cone. The 
the external form. The delivery system can change while delivering the same benefits, namely Christ and his benefits throughout the covenant of grace. Now, emphatically, believers took hold of Christ by faith through the various means of grace appointed for them in various covenants throughout history. Everyone who is saved must have true faith in Jesus Christ. Sadly, however, throughout redemptive history, there have been people who are among God's covenant community who do not truly believe, and so did not receive Christ and his benefits, even though they participated in the activities of the covenant community. They were holding an ice cream cone, but it had no ice cream. They were like me as a kid, playing with the box and never engaging with the real thing. For those who played with the box without faith, well, their box was empty. Our main point is that we must believe in Christ, not just participate in the Christian community to receive his benefits. We must believe in Christ, not just participate in the Christian community to receive his benefits. And our three points are true participation, a tested position, and trustworthy presence. So first, let's think about true participation. Uh, so the first thing we need to see as we lean into Jude 5 again is the two layers of relationship that the people had to Jesus. Jude said, I, I want to remind you, despite how you once fully knew it, that Jesus, after saving a people out from the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. So on the one hand, notably, Jesus had a relationship to the old covenant people in the events that in the events that most characterized the Mosaic covenant, namely the Exodus. Jesus saved the old covenant people. Those who would tell you that the old testament covenants are not themselves related to to Christ are in direct conflict with the Holy Spirit inspired Jude who said that Jesus was the one who rescued the people in the Mosaic covenant. Jude plainly stated that Christ had a, a type of relationship to the whole company of the old covenant people. On the other hand, on the other hand, so we, we're thinking about that first layer is that Christ had some type of relationship to the whole community. On the other hand, Christ destroyed some from among the community because they did not believe. And this, this gives us two considerations. First, well, d- despite what some suggest today... The Old Covenant people were always supposed to believe. They they were not a people related to God in some nebulous way for only earthly benefits. Right? The, The Covenant people were obligated 
to believe in the Savior. Israel, Jude says, was Jesus' people, and it was a problem that unbelievers were among the covenant community. Hence why Jesus killed them. The structure of God's people in the Old and New Testaments is the same in that belief in Christ was always required. It it was always supposed to be there. And so God always expected each member of the covenant community to have faith. Second, second consideration. We do see a difference between a, a mere external relationship and a true internal relationship to Jesus in the Old Covenant. Jesus had a relationship to this whole people brought from Egypt. It it was not a relationship of personal salvation for every single member, since some of them did not believe, and he killed them. But, But at one layer, from an external perspective, Jesus had a claim upon this entire people as his own, and all of them who were part of this community should have believed in him. Those who did have faith in him were truly, in substance, his people. Now, let's, let's illustrate this idea before we try to connect it to life in the church. We can think again about our substance and administration distinction by by thinking about our, our cell phones, right? I, I imagine almost everyone here has a cell phone with them. Uh, I imagine that almost everyone has uh, some sort of external protective cover on, on your phone. Now that cover is not the phone, but, but it's the casing by which you take hold of your phone. You can, you can actually take that cover off, you can, you can change it, and the same phone just comes to you packaged in different ways. The, the phone is the, the substance, but the cover is its administration. Now, if I wanted you to believe that I had an iPhone, even if I really didn't, well, I could go and get one of those big iPhone-shaped covers that encases the whole phone, and I could just walk around pretending that it was the real thing. If I hold this empty cover to my ear with some skill, maybe I could even convince you that I'm using a genuine iPhone. And so in that case, I, I used the cover, I used the administration without truly possessing a phone, the substance I have the packaging, but I don't have what's supposed to be inside. We can, we can do one further, I think. So, uh, on tons of TV shows and, and movies, this will ruin these scenes for you, but I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> tons of TV shows and movies, right? A character buys a cup of coffee in a paper cup, and, and the actor immediately turns the whole cup way up and takes a big drink right away. And the thing is, if that was real, if there was actually fresh hot coffee in that cup, it would be way too full, and that coffee would be way too hot for anyone to take such a big drink like that. 
The, the true substance is absent, but they really do have the administration. Now, notably, though, in that instance, the, the cup isn't just a, like a mere visual prop. It's not over to the side and fake. The, the actor really uses the cup correctly, carrying it the right way, drinking from it. The problem isn't the way they use the, the delivery system. It's the fact that the substance isn't in it. Despite all the appearances and despite going through all the motions of using the administration, they never partake of its substance. How does this apply to life in the church? Well, Jude appealed to the the structure of Jesus' old covenant people to exhort the church to be on guard about the same danger. In the Old Testament, Christ claimed a whole people for himself, but problematically, some of them did not believe. And so too, the church is Christ's new covenant people, but some in Jude's church, possibly, seemingly, lacked true faith. And we can also reinforce this connection between the structure of the old and new covenant people that it was Jude's intent. If we, if we jump back up to verse 1, Jude addresses the called ones who have been loved by God the Father and are certainly kept for Jesus Christ. Now these three terms there, called, loved, and kept, they come from Isaiah's servant songs. So for example, just to give you one example of each, uh, Isaiah 41.9 42 verse 1, and then 42 verse 6. Uh, And there's others. Those are just to prove the case that they're there if you tell me. Uh, So Jude started out. He started his letter by labeling the church as Israel. I'm taking these designations that belong to God's old covenant people and giving them to you, the church. And then... He progressed to claim that Israel had belonged to Jesus, just like the church does. And then he concluded that both versions of Christ's covenant people obligated its members to believe in Jesus. This church was in trouble because the way that some behaved within it undermined the credibility of their profession of faith. Christ has always had a people objectively organized under his name in the covenant of grace. True participation in the covenant people to receive Christ's saving saving blessings has always required faith in Jesus Christ as the way to salvation. Now that brings us to our second point, a tested position. Now, I, I realize that that Jude wrote a pretty tersely stated claim there, compressing this point about Christ's covenant community implicitly into a very few words. And really what I want to do now is to make sure that we're not, I'm not reading something into Jude's compact argument. We just want to confirm the point from other scripture. And so with this, 
external, internal distinction in mind. Hebrews 6, 1-8, which has actually been in history at times a confusing passage, I think it becomes clear as describing the exact situation in which we're, con- uh, we're considering where some participate in the covenant's external administration without partaking of its substance. They're playing with the box and they're not using the real thing. So Hebrews 6 is about maturity for believers. If you have that open there in front of you. So in, in verse 2, uh, I, I think this is a, a key sort of uh, link point here. So in verse 2, the ESV says, One issue was instruction about washings. Now the thing here is the Greek word behind washings is, is baptismois, which you may hear already is, is really the, the Greek word that we usually translate as baptism or baptisms, it's plural in this case. The, I can't really make out, um, unless the translator was a Baptist, <laughs> uh, why you would translate it differently here. And so this passage starts in the context of misunderstandings about various aspects of Christian teaching, including baptisms. And then verses 4 and 5 list benefits of church life. Uh, Now, I think we need to reflect on these for just a second to kind of bring out how this is the same thing we're considering in Jude. In the ancient church, being enlightened was one way of referring to baptism, actually. So, so Justin Martyr, one of the earliest Christian writers that we have, uh, wrote, Now this washing of baptism is called enlightenment, since those who learn of these things are the ones being enlightened in understanding. Baptism symbolizes renewal in Hebrews just explicitly, in verse 2, referred to baptisms. And people... In the covenant, taste of the heavenly gift, obviously suggesting the Lord's Supper. The Spirit is at work in the church. Preaching of the word goes out to all those who are present to hear. And these things are the means that God uses to manifest his power of the age to come. And the conclusion shows how people can participate in these outward Features these outward activities of church life, but never truly partake of its substance by saving faith. Verse 6 says that someone can take part in all these aspects of the covenant community and yet still fall away. And we believe God is sovereign. We, we believe that he holds people in faith who, 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 whom he truly has brought to faith. And so how can this happen? Well, it's because they fully use the administration by taking part in church life, but they, they never grasp the substance by faith. They're, they've got an empty coffee cup, and they're pretending to drink out of it. Now, what's, what's interesting here is I think that the illustration that Hebrews uses in verses 7 to 8 demands that this situation is is in view. So 
it starts there, his point starts there, for, indicating because, right, this is the ground, because the same rain falls on the land generally, but produces good and bad crops, fruit but also thorns. Now, that makes it really difficult to take the things prior as true benefits of salvation. I mean, just for one example, right? It, it would be really far-fetched to say that this enlightening was true conversion because that's part of the reign, right? And so it, it would be a, a odd thing to say that being truly converted by the Spirit produces bad crops unto condemnation for some. That's a very odd thing to say. I mean, an untenable thing to say, even. Now, we might, as, as believers, still produce some rubbish, but that's not because of our conversion, and it's not the holistically bad crop that's discussed. Here, this enlightening is an objective feature of church life that God uses to have some effect upon everyone, some effect on everyone who receives it. Namely, it's baptism. And so God's blessings in church life, hearing the word, even, even receiving both sacraments, if someone has managed to make a, a profession of faith despite not truly believing, it sadly, but does happen, fellowship with the saints, these are all real blessings. These things in themselves are God's real gifts to us. For some, well, being exposed to those blessings sprouts into genuine faith and grows unto further godliness. For others, the continual use of those gifts, that exposure to the external administration, will eventually reveal the true colors of unbelief as those thorns begin to sprout out of someone's life they however never truly partook of the substance never received genuine salvation by faith in jesus christ as john uh, first sorry first john 219 says they went out from us but they were not of us because if they had been of us They would have continued with us. So as a tested position, Scripture plainly teaches that people participate in the covenant's administration, sometimes without partaking of its substance by true faith. That brings us to our final point. Trustworthy presence. Trustworthy presence. Now, the... the, um, interesting thing that, that sort of uh, it makes this a, a experience that kind of transcends what we're talking about is that right now, right now we are participating in the covenant administration as we talk about it, <laughs> to some degree or other. As the word is preached at this moment, God's reign is falling. And as we think about Jude and Hebrews we learn how valuable the church, this moment is, as the, as the place where rain clouds gather. 
and distribute their nourishing effects. And so the main payoff is really to see that that Christ is at work amongst his church. This is the place where to some outcome Jesus is at work. We cannot presume that mere involvement in the church as if showing up, just hearing a sermon, having a baptism and so forth will, will benefit us as, as if, we, if we don't have true faith. Right? At, at the same point, in, in any moment, at the same point in time, Christ works to destroy those who don't believe in him as he is rescuing those who, who do. Partace, participating in the administration by itself will not save anybody. On a more, more encouraging note, we learn to cherish this participation in the, in the administration because it is where Christ is at work. It is where Christ is. It is where Christ is with his people. As, as we thought about at length, In our series on the means of grace, God gives us Christ and his benefits through the church's activities of word, sacrament, and prayer, making our participation in the church with faith the place where we meet Jesus and receive his blessings. We we cannot conceive of biblical faith as if it exists disconnected and and separately from the covenant's administration. Believers are found amongst Christ's people. And so the church is real and is a place of blessing. It is the place, it is the location of Christ's trustworthy presence. Jesus shows up In his people. Jesus shows up and is with the church. Our Savior is present magnificently and astoundingly in the activities that we are doing right this second. Jesus is here. He's amongst us. He's working in the things we do in this hour. When we are here, well, God actually distributes his gifts to us. And and one of those things is, is, well, to love our church. I mean, so we learn to cherish this community. We have our imperfections. We don't get it right. But we belong to Jesus. This is where he comes to give himself to his people. And, and we learn to love one another. This is why we opened with this psalm about unity among brothers and sisters in God's people, right? Is because when we know that there's a believer next to us, we have to cling to them. We, we have to learn to appreciate and cherish those with us who, who aren't playing with the box, but know the real thing. 
who know how to take a drink from a real cup, who, who know when the phone is in the cover, who spur us on to know Jesus more fully. There are all sorts of reasons why, I mean, as Jude tells us and makes clear that, that the church doesn't have its act together, falls short, comes up below what we all wish it was, and yet, <laughs> this is where the substance is. It's the box that gives you Jesus. God gives us here, through this administration, Christ, our blessed Lord, tying us into the people of Jesus, rescuing us as a people from destruction and placing us in a community of blessing. We learn to be thankful for our faith because God has brought us to Christ and will never destroy us when we belong to him by faith. We also learn to be grateful for the church because that is where Christ brings us to faith and cultivates it and helps us know it as we live amongst our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, there are many things wrong uh, with this age. And, and one of them is that your people are not complete or perfect. And we see that on full display here in, in Jude's epistle. We, we see this exhortation to, to this community that has truly fallen short. That's not, that's not even watching carefully about those who are giving doctrine to them. Their lives are going off the rails, or at least might be going off the rails, because they're, they're listening to some other message, to news about a Christ who is not Lord as well as Savior. We ask, O oh Lord, that all amongst us would know you as their true Savior. And we think in a particularly pointed way about our covenant children, those who have been enlightened in the sense of receiving this symbol of teaching, baptism, but who in many cases have not tasted the heavenly gift of your supper. We pray, O oh God, that you would be working in them even now, even in these moments, to have true and thriving faith in the Lord Jesus, that, that all our covenant children would be eager to profess faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray, O oh God, that you are true to your promise that you willingly made to be God to us and to our children after us. And for those of our kids who have professed faith and are true to it, we are grateful. And for those who have wandered, God, we seek after you for them. That you would remind them of the rain that has so constantly fallen on them. And that you might bring forth good crops. Crops of everlasting life through trust in your son. And we pray, O oh God, that despite our imperfections as this congregation, you knit unity amongst us as your people loving one another as we strive after Jesus. Help us, O oh God, unto that end.
that we would not be like this church that Jude had to warn so forcefully about divisions. Unify us. Knit us together. Not just for our sake, but because we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus, who has earned our right to be heard before you. We pray it in his name. Amen. People of God, stand to receive your benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Good to be with you today.